Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. What's good? What's going on? Welcome back to another episode of the Hogshaven Podcast, powered by SB Nation. You can find us at hogshaven.com, at hogshaven on Twitter and on Facebook. I am your host, Molly Mole. Jamal Force, you can find me on Twitter at Let Maul Tell It. Do not forget the you. Man, oh man, oh man. Um, Listen. I have been, look, I have enjoyed my vacation. I'm coming back after a few days of, uh, I don't even know what they call it, um, ROI, I don't know, um, R&R, yeah, R&R, that's what it is. I know, I, I rarely say that phrase, <laughs> so for, so forgive me. So uh, I spent some time out of the country as we geared up for a five to six month battle between uh the Washington Commanders and our emotions. <laughs> um but no, I I I think um I, I just you know we all have to take those resets and and I, I got myself out of here for a few days just to relax and and get my mind away from football man and went to Puerto Rico and it was an amazing time. Like I enjoyed every second of it. Um from the beach to the island itself and just going to some of the local spots uh, and spending some time with my significant other, you know, just having that opportunity to have both of us get away from work, you know, and that, that was a really good feeling. And, um, I'm, I'm grateful that I was able to clear my head as we got geared up for this regular season, uh, of the Washington Commanders, just NFL in general, man, I'm excited as I'm recording this on Tuesday at two twenty. um, by the way, forgive me in advance because some of the stuff that we're going to be covering, uh, it's probably already been talked about, <laughs> but, um, you know, I've been out of the loop for a few days and you know, that's what happens when you go away. So, um, I don't know anything about anything. <laughs> I'm coming in this thing, uh, brand new, just catching up on some things. So, uh, all in all, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not hundred percent serious. I, I've, I've been following along, but just haven't really put any thought into everything. Just uh, noticing some things, but all in all, uh, we're going to talk about a few things on the show today. Uh, first and foremost, like I said, the on the agenda is hot topic items, just mainly from Ron Rivera's recent presser, meaning Monday. Um, so this past Monday, like I said, that's probably the main thing that I was talking about. That's already been discussed to an, to an, to an extent. Um, but you know, we'll talk about some of the the, the biggest conversations out of that presser and the best case, worst case scenario for the Washington commanders this season. 
Um, this is the week where those predictions really start to flow a week before the season starts. Um, we're five days away from Washington Commanders football. Like I said, two days away from uh, Bills Chargers. I believe it's Bills Chargers. No, Bills. Uh, oh, Lord. Who is it? Who won the Super Bowl? <laughs> Um, this is, this is actually frustrating me and I'm not editing to figure out, you know, who it is. Um, I, Rams bills. Oh my God. <laughs> Rams bills. I think we understand. Like I said, I've been away for some time on vacation. Um, so y'all gonna have to deal with that. Y'all may have to deal with that a couple more times this episode because this ain't getting edited. <laughs> this ain't getting edited at all, man. But all in all, on a serious note, um, I'm so excited. I was able to watch some football this weekend with the college football stuff. Shout out to PR being um, part of the United States territory in a sense because your boy was on the phone all day watching ESPN whenever I could watch some college football and um, couldn't miss out on my Game of Thrones either. Hell no. Couldn't miss out on Game of Thrones. I couldn't. I What, what else? Stars, power. Um Raising Canaan couldn't miss out on that, you know. So, um, I'm getting sidetracked here with with the shows and stuff. By the way, if y'all if if y'all ain't watching the House of the Dragon, please to God, please start watching. Um, if you aren't fans of Game of Thrones, understood. I'm not here to battle with you all. Y'all are missing out. It is what it is. But if you are late on House of the Dragon and you are familiar with Game of Thrones or you you liked it, you don't have to be a huge fan. But if you like Game of Thrones. You need to be watching House of Dragon if you are not. All right. That is it. So with that being said, if you are familiar or if you have some time, uh, spare time today, um, if you're listening to this podcast, you know, I, I always appreciate it. And it's always going to be appreciated uh, for you spending your time and your day or part of your day with the Hogshaven podcast and with uh, myself as well. Uh, just make sure, again, have a chance. Make sure you subscribe if you aren't. Uh, make sure you leave that rating and a review uh, if you have time. It takes two seconds, but in the same vein, listening is appreciated altogether. Um, it just helps let the, let the potentials know, you know, that this is a quality podcast worth their time and stuff like that. So with that being said, like I said, hot topic items from Rivera's presser and best case, worst case scenario for the Washington Commanders this season. First up, let's go ahead and get into the coaches speak. Now, Rivera, I think, for the most part, you know, the conversation centered around Brian Robinson and his return from injury. Uh, there was quite a few questions about that and obviously gun violence in the United States as well altogether. And uh, rightfully so, important questions. What we do know is, to this point, last we spoke, we didn't know the status of Brian Robinson. Um, obviously, he's on the NFI, the non-football injury list. He will be out at least four weeks. Um, for our sake and for everybody's sake, Fingers crossed he's back on that fifth week because I think that Washington has some really good plans for uh, Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson because that's what I was about to say. Um, but, you know, different plans. And my, my, my feeling before I get into the coaches speak, uh, I said it last week when, you know, Kyle Smith and Mark Tyler joined me for the, the roundtable discussion, a hog saving discussion. Uh, I do feel like that Antonio Gibson should, should remain in the current role that he's in or that he was projected to be in with Brian Robinson starting. Um, you brought up Jonathan Williams and replaced Brian Robinson while he's gone for the four weeks. And while I do think that Antonio Gibson is still a talented player, I think that when you transition him back to his full-time primary ball carrier duties, 
when you wanted to expand his game more as a offensive weapon from the pass game standpoint and rush standpoint and also being him uh, having him as a kick returner I think that if you take that away from him in a situation which he was you know eager to or or willing to transition to I just think that you need to you need to stay with it Um, I don't think you need to revert him back to being that primary guy Um, you never know what I I, first off two things you never know what J.D. McKissick and Jonathan Williams can bring you from a, a rushing standpoint you never know from from how they can, if you can get them seven to eight carries per back, what it can do for you. I mean, maybe even more if they got if they got a good feel uh, for 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 that particular game. And that's the first thing. But the second thing is they aren't terrible ball carriers. I mean, clearly they're on the fifty three. So excuse the exaggeration that I just used or hyperbole. But in the in the same vein, I, I think that the bottom line is you can survive using those two. Is where I'm getting at as your ball carrier um splitting carries by the way mind you i'm not saying bench antonio gibson i'm saying implement all three running backs and not just use antonio as your primary so if you had brian robinson prior to the injury given i'm just using random numbers so if you had him 70 percent of the, the carries and you had um 15 with antonio gibson and uh 15 with J.D. McKissick, then it needs to be probably 60 or 55% Antonio Gibson, and then the rest mixed in with Jonathan Williams and J.D. McKissick. So he needs to be closer to like 50, 55, 50%. If I'm if I'm the if I'm the coordinator, I think that's what it needs to be with with Brian Robinson out. Um, but altogether, that's that on him. I'm glad he's healthy in in comparison terms. Obviously, you know, he's recovering from gunshot wounds and, you know, that's a story within itself. But from a a life standpoint and recovery standpoint, I'm glad that he's going to do well. He's going to be fine and uh, he'll be able to return and resume his actual pro career. Uh, Let's get back to the coach's speak. That was that Brian Robinson took up a good portion of the conversation. And, you know, Carson Wentz and Ryan Kerrigan was a conversation that was worth talking about as well. Let's start with Ryan Kerrigan, who was recently hired as I think yesterday. Um September 5th as the assistant defensive line coach. And here's what Ron Rivera had to say. By the way, you all know how I hate these transcripts because they always make me seem like I'm illiterate. (laughs) But I'm going to read it anyway. Here we go. Well, I think the practical experience, um, you know, the one thing about Ryan is that from the time I got here and watched him in 2020, just how much of a true pro he is, a veteran pro, a guy that does things the right way, takes care of himself the right way. I think that'll be very important to our young guys to learn from his example and his experience. I tell this a lot of times to guys that are on, that are former players that are coaching. Doesn't make you a better coach. Just makes the guy, your guy with experience and that they can relate to. And you know that in itself is special. So I think he'll use that and that'll help him in terms of, you know, his growth and development as a coach, but also gaining the player's respect. Uh. There has been some turnover in the past, over the past month on, you know, uh, with Sam Mills and obviously now uh, Coach V um, and uh, Ryan Kerrigan. I think that one of the things that when it comes to Ryan Kerrigan, I'm not going to sit here and act like I know what an assistant defensive line coach does. Um, in particular, I don't know the, the, the day in, day out details of an assistant defensive line coach, but ultimately... 
uh, I, I would just say that we kind of knew this was headed down the lane in which it was. I was just kind of surprised that it happened so quickly. I, I would have thought this would have been like a midseason thing, if not the end of next year. And uh, Ryan Kerrigan uh, clearly fell in love with the, the opportunity. Like he said, he was interested in coaching. And uh, that opportunity that Ron Rivera gave him to shadow throughout training camp and uh, yeah, training camp, I think, is when it started for him. You know, clearly was um, something that, you know, Ryan said, you know, he can do this right now. And, I mean, it is what it is, especially when you don't have to worry about getting hurt. You don't have to worry about um, going putting your, your, your body on the line when you can just, you know, pass your tutelage and your knowledge and your information to the players that's on the roster. And on top of that, the fact that you have a reputation, you have a resume with the guys that's on that defensive line already. They can trust you. They can take your word for it. They can even disagree with you if they have a disagreement or they can explain themselves with them and you being Ryan Kerrigan, knowing that this is all part of the process. I know what you feel. I felt I'm in your, I've been in your shoes. Let's work to a conclusion or a resolution with whatever, whatever things are going on. So for Kerrigan, I think that's good for him. And to Ryan, Ron Rivera's point, because we don't want to sit here and do the, um, the doom thing with Kerrigan who just got hired he did state expressly in his um, comments that, you know, because you're a former player doesn't make you a better coach. And I think that's also something that's worth noting. Uh, just from a, a perspective of Sam Mills and Coach V, and let me make sure that I'm actually even saying his name right. It's Coach Z. I've been calling that man Coach V this whole time. <laughs> coach Z, uh, Jeff Zagonia. Um, I think it's the same thing with him. Uh, you know, we understand the Sam Mills situation. He wasn't a player. And um, rumor has it because this is all alleged. We don't know the full details. I don't think Ron Rivera was the one who was frustrated. I think this was either a coordinator or a player thing uh, that he wasn't a fan. He wasn't a he wasn't a favorite of the, the players. And uh, Ron Rivera pulled that plug. But back to the point, Coach Z, um, when you talk about uh, – what he brings to the table, he's a former player. Same thing with Ryan Kerrigan. And just because, you know, Rivera went in favor of uh, bringing the former players on board don't mean you're, you're going to have a better staff. So that all circles back to one of our concerns for, for this team this year is that, you know, this defensive line has to step up in a major way. Like these are the, these are, this is the prize possession. This is where they heavily invested with this, with this defensive side of the football is that defensive line. And when you talk about a situation in which Kerrigan is, is newly brought on and you have a new defensive line coach and Coach Z, uh, there ain't that many scapegoats that can go around. <laughs> and if Jack Del Rio is a uh, – I don't even know how to say it. If, if, if he was one person – if Jack Del Rio was highly valued by Ron Rivera, I think that's the easiest way to say it, then I don't think he's going anywhere and – I mean, unless things go very south very quickly, I don't think Jack Del Rio is going anywhere. But also, that defensive line, like if they have the same production, if not worse, from a year ago, then you're looking at a, a, a situation where you're like, bro, I think something's broken. How do we fix it? So this is a wait-and-see mode with a lot of things on this team, unfortunately, because of how bad that 2021 season was. But, again, um, good for Ryan Kerrigan. But... We need to see production from this defensive line unit from Coach Z and Ryan Kerrigan. 
uh, and everybody else involved as well. So that is one thing on uh, Ryan Kerrigan moving forward. He has some comments on Carson Wentz and from Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson. So I think we'll talk about the Doug Peterson factor and then we'll get into Carson Wentz, the quarterback in Washington. So Ron Rivera on the advantage of Carson Wentz being formerly coached by Doug Peterson. Uh, he responded, quote, oh, yeah, that's exactly what you're going to get. You know, for us, the insights that Carson can give us are or has already been or has already given us is huge. And so, you know, we'll take the we'll take that to heart, but we'll take it for what it's worth. I mean, it's more about what they've got planned for us than what they've done. And for me, that's actually the most important thing, I think, is what the Jaguars are going to do or what they have planned for Washington. Um, I'm not going to get too in depth with the, the the Jaguars breakdown today because, you know, we have more episodes along this this week. And um, I think those are definitely worthy for a, a more in-depth conversation about the Jaguars. But ultimately, I think when you talk about coaches in new places, whether they're uh, retread or new coaches altogether, when you're on a new team, sure, somebody can know your scheme all you want to, but you're dealing with new personnel now. You may be dealing with better or worse talent. And I think that in compared to Peterson's first year in Philly versus his first year in Jacksonville, he has much better talent than what he did in 2016. And I think that when you look at the Jaguars uh, from a standpoint of last year was so bad because their coach was so bad and the culture was so bad, the structure was so bad. You have Doug Peterson in here now who can stabilize your team and he brings in a scheme that's been proven to win in the NFL and he won a Super Bowl with that scheme offensively. You don't know exactly what you're going to get. I mean, obviously that's the offensive side of the football, but his defenses aren't, aren't no slouches either. So he knows who he can bring in to, to get that ship right. And you don't know what they got planned for Carson Wentz. Uh, but the, the other side is that you also don't know what Doug Peterson has planned. Excuse me, I should have been more clear. You don't know what Washington um, and what Carson Wentz can do for the Jaguars, but you do know what Doug Peterson knows about Carson Wentz. He coached him for four years. So he has an idea of who Carson Wentz is, and that's the that's the wild card that you can bring in. Like Again, Doug Peterson knows his guy. He knows how to get a, a, a good defense uh, together. He knows how to move the ball on offense. He has a scheme that's been that's won a Super Bowl. So you have to be you have to hold yourself accountable in terms of how you can protect Wentz, but also how you can make Wentz flourish in a system or in a, against a quarterback or a head coach who really knows who who Carson Wentz is. So that's very important, and I think Ron Rivera is one hundred percent right. It's all about what the Jaguars have planned for Carson Wentz in Washington. But moving forward, we'll talk about Carson Wentz by himself. And we'll get an idea of who he is, um, or at least what Ron Rivera says. So I think the first thing that we can start with is, um, you know, the tools that he'll use to evaluate Carson Wentz. Ron Rivera said that, well, it goes as follows, quote, oh, yeah, you'll use the analytics as well. Uh, you look at the numbers, you look at those type of things, you'll have to uh, use it as you're evaluating, not just on film. But, okay, who is he playing against? Who are we playing against? Are we giving him an opportunity to succeed? 
That's one thing I always believe and I always tell it to you guys before we do anything. We got to look and make sure we're putting players in position to succeed. And are we using his skill set to our advantage? I mean, we know he can he can throw the ball. He, he's got a good arm. He throws a deep. He throws a deep outs. He throws a deep crossers very well. So we got to make sure that every opportunity gives him succeeds. We're doing that for him. Now, in that quote itself, um, I think it's very interesting because uh, obviously, you know, I mean, I think he said, again, I think he said everything right. Um, how are we putting players in positions to, to succeed? How best are we doing it? And I think uh, when it comes to Carson, um, clearly, you know, the arm strength is the biggest thing that you can have with a quarterback like him. And I think that defenses, but also, you know, some certain certain situations can really challenge Carson Wentz. And I think context is always important and understanding, you know, who he is and all those things. But ultimately, it comes down to, are you giving him an opportunity, opportunity to see if you find out that you aren't, how do you adjust and how quickly do you adjust? That's one thing that also needs to be a part of this conversation. And while obviously that's a known from a coaching standpoint, there's going to be people out here who needs to see it. Like we need to see um, if Carson Wentz and the offense, not just on Carson Wentz, but if you're putting something out there on tape and during game days that you're trying to figure out why this isn't working, uh, we need to quickly evaluate how you can adjust and how you can correct these things because you don't want to start a season where it takes you five to six weeks to really get on the same page with your quarterback. In a critical season like this, I understand that generally it takes time to really get on the same page on both sides of the ball, to really know who your team is. I get that. I don't disagree with any of that. But I do think that the timeline or the the, the curve – for some teams in certain situations, are I think the the leash is shorter than than most in certain in, 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 than than other teams. So, I think that for Washington, they're in the boat of we are gonna it's gonna take us some time to get on the same page, but I understand we don't have that much time. There are teams out there who maybe like Jacksonville, who has a young quarterback, who has Doug Peterson, who may need a couple of years to get things together similar to Philadelphia in his first year with Philly we have a quarterback we have an we have a team they're very young but this is my first year with them if we can get eight wins that's okay let's see how long it takes but I think if we're if we show progression throughout the season that's good that's a different that's a different type of expectation than what Washington would be facing this year I think that with Carson Wentz an experienced quarterback in Ron Rivera, who's on his seventh plus quarterback in two years, you know, that that is the difference in, in, in what you're making. Like, obviously, Carson Wentz, uh, when it comes to tools that he mentioned, right, um, you have to look at analytics. You have to look at, you know, what situations does he do well? What situations is he struggling in? Uh, what does his third down percentages look like? How does it look like if we're asking him to throw against a certain coverage? What is he? Where is he referring to? What is his? What is his go-to? Um, all these other things that you know get so in detail and so in depth, um, and things like that. You just have to understand how 
it's going to work in Carson Wentz's favor and also how the coaches will adjust altogether. So uh, for me, um, everything that Ron Rivera said is right, but it's important to see how quickly you adapt and how you adjust to a quarterback who is new to you, but also how he can best best impact this offense um, and things like that to that nature. I think one of the last things before we get into the outlook of the season, best case, worst case scenarios, uh, when it comes to Carson Wentz, is his overall thoughts on how things are are looking out in Washington. And Ron said on if things feel different with Wentz at quarterback, quote, well, I think we have a quarterback. I do. I think we have a guy that can help us. I mean, not to say we didn't have some quality quarterbacks. Again, we did some pretty good things when we had Alex Smith playing for us. I thought that was a great job by him. And again, I thought last year Taylor did the things that he needed to do to help us. But I think we have a guy that we can now, you know, establish and rally around and build off of, which is what we tried to do in the offseason as far as making sure we had a stout offensive line to protect him and then the playmakers. And again, I always refer to that because I think, oh, my God, they spelled all oh Lord. <laughs> I always refer to that. I'm sorry. The transcripts are funny. Um, I think that's what you have to do. Now, in our circumstances, in our situation, I think we have a guy that, you know, we can establish and build around. Another interesting quote, and this is the last, that was the last one from Rivera's presser on Monday. Uh, One of the things about this quote that really stands out to me is not necessarily, um, how he feels about the quarterback altogether. I mean, obviously, Carson Wentz is an upgrade from every quarterback that Rivera has had to this point in his tenure in Washington. But I think the good thing is, it's good and bad. The good thing is you continue to build that confidence, uh, the public support, uh, the confidence in Carson Wentz that he is your guy. You build that. You encourage him the best you can um, in as many ways as you can. To make him feel once, to make him feel like he can contribute to this locker room, to make him feel like he can become a leader on this team, uh, and all of those things can work. The the bad news, or the the concerning or hesitant news, whatever, like where you have to pause, basically, is understanding that you have this man essentially on a one year deal. In actuality, three years. Right. But all of his guaranteed money is for 2022. When you say things like this in public for Carson Wentz. In a situation in which everybody knows it's a proven year for Carson Wentz. It's a year in which Ron Rivera has said he has to do better. They have to come around this year. For all of these reasons in which you are essentially having to prove yourself. For all of the players involved. Carson Wentz, Ron Rivera. Going out on a limb on a quarterback that you have not invested into beyond this year can really backfire if you do not put up. If you do not put up anything that's worth saying undoubtedly that Carson Wentz has to stay in Washington, if there is not a consensus among the fan base, if there is not a consensus among the local beat reporters, 
If there is not a consistence, a consensus, even in Washington, in the in the front office, in uh, uh, general managers, and and all the the roster construction, all of those people involved, if there is not a consensus that he needs to stay at least one or two more years, then quotes like this, it doesn't come back to haunt you, but it's another example of you jumping the gun before the season even started. And that's kind of where you have to be careful because at some point you have to understand that your talk on the field speaks louder than your talk in the offseason your talk throughout any point on which football is not being played. So Carson Wentz is being propped up, rightfully so, and and, and like Ron Rivera and, and company are doing a good job. Jason Wright as well. He's, they are doing a good job telling people this is their guy. But ultimately, when you solidify it in the way in which Rivera is doing it, that we can establish and build around, of course, that's coaches speak. But at the end of the day, committing to a guy you're truly not committed to. Like, where's the soft, where's the soft hedge? That's that's what I need to see. Where's the soft hedge and be like, look, I like what we're doing, but we got to get on the field and see things through. Come on now. It's not that hard. I like what we're doing, but we need to see things through. Come on. So. All I'm saying is, again, I'll close out uh, and move on to the, the season outlook. Is that, um, you know, however you want to protect your quarterback and make sure that he's mentally there to compete before the wins and losses start to pile up. You know, do what you got to do. But also, uh, I think if you're going to give him that public support, you need to also understand that a job needs to be done as well. Because if you put up, put them out there in that sense of trying to look, why, you're you're on your seventh seventh eighth quarterback. If you aren't if you aren't very protective of your words and how you feel about people and players, then you know at this point, I don't understand if you you're really going to get how important words are. Like because eventually they're going to start falling on deaf ears and or deaf ears, and people are going to get tired of it. So. People aren't tired of it yet. People are very excited about Carson Wentz. And uh, some people aren't, but some people are. And and that's kind of where things change and, and give a different outlook. So let's go ahead and get into the outlook for the Washington Commanders. My outlook for the Washington Commanders right now. So mine's, first and foremost, let's go to the betting odds. Uh, right now, majority of the, the, the bookies got Commanders at seven and a half wins this year. And... I won't hold you any longer. I won't tease you. I got the over at seven and a half wins. Um, I think the sweet spot for Washington is like nine, eight or nine, right? Um, but, you know, Washington, for for all the reasons in the world, has um, question marks and also for, for, for good and for, for bad, has question marks about their abilities this year. Um, there's not many people who are fully in support of Ron Rivera being capable of taking this team to a high level. There are also people out here who, who believe that Rivera has been completely 
sidetracked by off the field issues, um, off the field trauma, uh, off the field scandals before even focusing on football. Trauma meaning obviously players dealing with death, him dealing with cancer, and other situations dealing with high-profile players. Uh, I think all of these things are important to note. And I think the, the understanding is you have to see a person who, while they have said a lot about, you know, changing the culture and, and building winners here in Washington. The time is now. And that that season is now like 2022, that year three. We spoke about it already when you are in a situation in which, you know, your first two years showed regression <laughs> in a sense. Um, and, and truthfully speaking, seven and nine, two, seven and nine or in seven and ten, two straight seasons, that's like projecting like. Projecting going into 2021, you, you think that you're on the rise, but ultimately seven seven wins two years in a row is just a, a sign of mediocrity. Um, you kind of hope for the best in 2022 with the the, the understanding that uh, last year, sure we didn't win seven. I mean, sure we didn't win more than seven games. Sure the defense didn't come through in which we thought it would, but uh, we're bringing people back. We're adding defensive line help from a run stop standpoint. We're hoping that Jamin Davis develops um, we're hoping that uh, with the year in which they're not playing so many daunting quarterbacks on the schedule that we can be a better defense we're not going to get picked apart because the communication is better uh, we think that we're going to be able to hold up in, in run defense against some of the better rushing teams in the NFL this year and then offensively we think that we have a quarterback who can challenge all three levels of the field consistently he's going to scare defensive secondaries he's going to lighten up the box because of his arm strength uh, we're going to be able to run more effectively. We're going to be able to control the clock. All of these things. All of these things that they're banking on. I'm pretty sure that they're fully confident in in their ability to accomplish those things. And uh, it really comes down to how confident are you in them getting that done? We understand what they want to do. We understand what they believe in. How confident are you they can get that done. That's where it comes down to in your season outlook for Washington. I say I can see 10 wins. I see their ceiling at 11. I see their floors at 7. I see, the, the like I said, the best case, again, ceiling, 11 wins. But ladies and gentlemen, with all that that I just said, Everything that they're banking on, everything that we understand the team is, everything that we understand that they think that they can become, especially under Carson Wentz and the roster that they have offensively and defensively, anything under seven wins is problematic. If you aren't, I mean, look, six, six wins is somebody's getting fired. Four wins, everybody may get fired. <laughs> uh, but five wins, you may look at completely new coordinators. Um, and you and the only saving grace is that, you know, people are getting hurt. Like, people are getting hurt in that people, because those players are getting hurt, couldn't get their jobs done. So, again, 
I don't, you know, you never hope for the, the worst case scenario and for your best case, in order for that to happen, you have to take advantage of the 50-50 games. You have to take advantage of the schedule in which people think that you are going to win. Like if you can, like for example, Jacksonville, Detroit. Let's actually let's go through the list. Jackson, like in terms of the games that people expect you to win. Let's say Jacksonville, Detroit, New York, at least one of those, Houston, Atlanta. Chicago, those are games which people are saying you you need to win. We expect you to win. In terms of your 50-50s, you have to find a way to have a winning record in your 50-50s. And you're looking at Tennessee as a 50-50. Both Dallas games is a 50-50. The home game against Philly is a 50-50. Uh, Indianapolis, Green Bay, Minnesota. Uh, I would say I, I was thinking Cleveland, but no. I mean, excuse me. I was thinking San Francisco, but no. I don't think that that'll be looked at as a 50-50. I think people will be expecting uh, San Francisco to win that game. But Cleveland at home, that'll be a 50-50. So you're talking about ultimately one, two, three, four, five. S- about seven games that are 50-50s. You have to find a way to come out at least with four wins in those. Like you, ha- that's your that's the way to your best case and your your ceiling of eleven wins, um, winning winning the ones that you're expected to win in Jacksonville, Detroit, uh, and the other teams that I listed, and also coming out with uh, at least four wins in in, in the fifty fifty games. And if you're looking at, I mean, obviously you have to win in the division too, at least four wins in the division. And and evaluate from there. I'm not going to do a game by game win-loss thing but ultimately like you have to understand like how important these sectors of the schedule are and who it is that you'll be looking at not from a a paper standpoint but just from a matchup standpoint do you think that these guys are capable of winning the ones that they're expected to uh and do you think that these guys are capable of winning the ones uh, that are toss-ups um these are all percept perception based but at the same time like Washington has to find a way to to come out of the rise or the ashes of mediocrity. And I think that's ultimately what creates a ceiling of 11 wins is because the roster clearly says that they're capable of of winning uh, and going above uh, sub 500. Right. They can go. They can go nine wins. They can get 10. But at the end of the day, um, what good are you if you aren't capable of proving get on the field? So ultimately, uh, my best case is 11 for that reason. Uh, and, and anything lower than, than six, uh, excuse me, lower than seven wins, you're talking about, um, like, think about the games that you have to lose. If you if you win only the games in which you're expected to and lose everything else, um, what does that say about the coaching staff? What does that say about the players? Like, we talked about the coaching staff in terms of people getting fired, but what about the players on the roster? Like, people have to severely underperform for a team to go six six and 11 and 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 I, I don't I don't like I don't think that that's the case. Like if anything, if there's one side of the football that I think is probably that could be overrated, I'm not saying that they are, but could be, is that defense. Um and you put so much trust and faith into the guys that you drafted. Uh note that they're all in the front seven, really. Uh most of them are in the front seven. 
uh, defensive line. You you drafted a couple of uh, uh, safeties in Derek Forrest over the past years, Percy Butler as well, uh, Cam Curl as well, uh, and obviously Benjamin St. Juice. Uh, but, you know, they haven't really been ex- – Cam Curl, exclusion on him. But everybody else, they haven't really been exposed to a significant amount of time, so we don't know what that looks like. But ultimately, like, these are guys that you're all banking on. And uh, I would love to see what um, the outcome is for these guys. But uh, when you talk about six wins in, or less in, in your ceiling, I mean, excuse me, in your floor, then you're talking about a side of the football, if not both sides of the football, severely underachieving and being severely overestimated or overvaluated or, or overestimated, I think, is the word. So um, that's ultimately what it comes down to for me on both sides of the football. Um, somebody is somebody is definitely uh, being over estimated in a sense so so yeah that about wraps it up for this episode man and if y'all stuck with me this long man appreciate y'all letting me get through my uh my rough notes <laughs> uh my thoughts on the team um you know it's and let me get my feet again you know i've been out of, i've been out of the loop for a few days so it's taking me a little time you know i gotta warm up a little bit <laughs> before i get back into everything but yeah with that being said uh schedule wise i have a few more episodes coming out this week uh, logan paulson is scheduled to check in i have a betting preview for the nfl slash commanders slash jaguars commanders game and then we do have a jaguars commanders game preview episode itself so uh, with that being said i'm out of here and stay tuned for the next few episodes peace